Greetings, podcast listeners. Brian Zimmerman here, digital content editor for Jazz's Magazine. It's nice to be with you again after a short hiatus. Anyway, the podcast you are about to hear was originally recorded as a video interview as part of our Jazz's Daily Brunch series that are available on jazzes.com. It was originally recorded on Monday, April 13th, and we are happy to present it here as a podcast. If you're interested in watching uh, the video version of this podcast, feel free to check it out at jazzes.com or hey keep on listening do you podcast users all right without further ado let's get into today's episode good morning everybody brian zimmerman digital content editor for Jazz's Magazine here to welcome you to another episode of Jazz's Daily Brunch. I hope you like our spiffy new intro there. Thanks to Jeff, our video guy, for putting that together. Um, anyway, thank you for remembering what day of the week it is, that it's a weekday and it's 11 o'clock. And I know these times are crazy, but we appreciate you. We certainly appreciate you uh, tuning in. We're having a lot of fun with these videos and we have a week of great content in store for you. Um, before we get into that, though, I want to take a minute to thank uh, this episode's sponsors. That would be Mac Avenue Records. They've been putting you on the road to great music for 20 years now. They've got a new album out right now by Jimmy Green called While Looking Up. It's a phenomenal album. Jimmy is an excellent sax player. And uh, they got another album out right now by Tower of Power. You know, what is hip? All right, I won't do any more of that to you. Melt your eardrums. Um, but that's called Step Up. That's out right now. To check out uh, all the latest on Mac Avenue Records, go to macavenue.com. Uh, also wanted to take a minute to talk about our latest issue on newsstands now. So subscribers have already got it in their mailbox, but this is it. I've got myself a brand new copy right here. Bird is the word. This issue is all about Charlie Parker and his centennial. Charlie Parker would have turned 100 years old this August. So this issue is full of great content on Charlie Parker. We talk with today's top alto saxophonist um, about Parker's legacy. We take a deep dive into Parker's discography. Um, it's a really great issue. We're really proud of it. You can check it out. Uh, all the content is online. It's been digitized. It's online. It's on jazzes.com. Become a subscriber. You can become a digital subscriber and unlock instant access. Check it out, jazzes.com slash subscribe. All right. Our guest today, I'm super, super excited about. Uh, he's a phenomenal guitarist, uh, kind of an icon of the fusion movement. You know him uh, from such albums as Elegant Gypsy, Friday Night in San Francisco, Land of the Midnight Sun. You know him from Return to Forever. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the great Al Dimiola. Al. Hey, guys. Hey, man. How How's it going? Good. We're doing good. Doing good. I'm in my studio here in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, just hunkered down like everybody else. Yeah, man. It's crazy, crazy times. How, how have you been getting through it? How have you been surviving? You know, what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you baking? More than ever. I'm writing and uh, just, uh, you know, it kind of takes my attention off of uh, the severity of what's happening out there. You know, don't go out at all, really. Yeah. You know, it's good you're being safe, man. Al, we should mention, just rolled out of bed and he already looks that good. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. 
Al, um, we're happy to very happy to have you on the show. Um, you. you have a new album out right now. Yeah, called Across yeah. the Universe. I got it right here. Look at this. There it is, man. That's the ooh, that's nice. Is that the vinyl? This was this was uh, this photo was taken in Hamburg, right, right in the same place. It's actually the entrance to one one of the places that they lived when they were playing the clubs there. Oh, very cool. It's an excellent album. You revisit the Beatles songbook. Um, right. You know, this is your second time paging through it. Back in 2013, you did so with all your life. Um, but this is a very, I've been spinning a lot around the office. It's a great album. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, we've got Al Demiola here. He's got his guitar. He just released an album of Beatles tunes. I don't even know why I'm still talking, man. Al, we'll be able to hear a little bit. From the new project? Okay, I could, yeah, I haven't have warmed up, but I could just play something. That was beautiful. Thank you, Al. So beautiful, in fact, that, look, we attracted someone off the street. Uh, you, look who's... Hey, Michael. Joining us for brunch. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Brian. Um, you know, it, it, thank. by the way, thank you, Brian, for being my alarm clock, and because you woke me up, and I woke Al up, so we're all good now. You guys look so good for just rolling out of bed, man. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Al, it's... Uh, it's it's great to see you again. Um, it's been a while. Uh, last time I, I saw you, I think was in one of the jazz's clubs, and uh, oh, the, that has uh, to be fifteen years ago, maybe. Yeah, no, you know, it was probably close to ten though. And uh, yeah. you know, I never told you this, but I wanted to tell everyone who's who's watching that uh, my first jazz album was Romantic Warrior, ah. and um, that really turned me around. Before that, I was listening to progressive rock and. Mm. Uh, and then I, I heard this album that kind of bridged that rock jazz thing. And this acoustic guitarist was on there. And I'm like, who is this guy? And of course, that's that's that was my introduction to you. And and uh, we've enjoyed everything you've done since then. So it's wonderful to have you on this uh, Daily Brunch. And, uh, well, I guess uh, we have here. That's right. I got my I went for tea this morning, but uh it's it's uh yes i i concur it's nice to have you al and let me just before we go any further let me just mention to everyone watching on facebook or youtube please feel free to drop us a line say hello to al if you have a question for al 
Dennis Johnson saying hello. Um, please submit your question and we will ask it on air. Um, Al, you know, I think it's awesome that there's a Beatles tribute out right now because the Beatles kind of represent the past and the present for you. I know they were a major influence. I know you're an Elvis Presley guy. He kind of, you know, sparked your passion for music. But I know the Beatles were also a major influence just in getting you into music in the first place. Isn't that right. so? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, my sister was seven years older than, than myself, so she came home with the records. And uh, I remember she, when she came home with uh, Meet the Beatles, and uh, they were kind of like just beginning to be the rage. Uh, and it was all over the radio. You can hear them. And then the Ed Sullivan show, which a lot of us have caught, you know, I think like most of the nation saw that show. Yeah. And uh, that did it. You know, it was... Uh, it was great then, and it's great now. You know? And what I'm wondering is, you know, how has your appreciation for their musicality evolved? You know, you hear them as a teenager, and it's one thing. You hear them, you know, years later, yeah. you know, as a professional musician. What can you appreciate them about them now that you didn't, you know, beforehand or, or couldn't necessarily? Well, I, you know, when you're when you're that young, you're you're very impressed. You're you're impressionable with with most of what's coming out. You know, right? Uh, a lot of the stuff from England, L.A., San Francisco. I was I, I was knocked out with the whole thing. And at the same time, I was taking lessons at nine, ten years old from a, a you know an old school jazz player. But but he also dug the Beatles. Uh, but anyway, you know, there was the whole period of the Beatles and the. 60s. I loved all the periods, especially when I went into Magical Mystery Tour and mm -hmm. and uh, Sergeant Pepper and White Album. But then when they went solo, I kind of lost my a little bit of interest, and and then I went you know heavy into jazz and jazz rock. Uh, but then it wasn't until like ten years ago I got back into hearing the Beatles because a lot of jazz and jazz rock got started to get very far out, yeah, way far away from melody except for smooth jazz, uh, you know, but I was never really into smooth jazz. So, you know, for me, for me, a lot of the jazz guys that I, I adore and, and I think have great improvisational skills uh, seem to have almost forgotten or put melody on the back burner. And, yeah. and then when you hear these great melodies of the Beatles, behind this really beautiful harmony when you when you examine the pieces of music that they've written they they have really nice chords behind that you know yeah. really conducive for for you know stretching on and, and doing something with so uh i just saw it as an opportunity to to uh revisit these melodies that go straight to your heart and, uh, and bring a smile to your face you know and uh, and i think i think there's a lot of aesthetic to the music you know, a lot of it, you know, from your mother should know all the way on down. You know, all of these tunes that I have on the record are just, you know, perfectly chosen to do things with. Absolutely. Know. And your approach was a little different this time around. Um, you know, you really stayed true to a lot of the melodies on this. And you've got some great ones. Here Comes the Sun, Golden Slumbers Medley, Dear Prudence, Norwegian Wood, Mother Nature's Son. Um, you really kind of stay true to the melody. And like you said, let it speak for itself because they do stand right. the test of time. Well, I've heard you jazz guys would take the melody so far out. Yeah. If they ever did a Beatle cover, you can never recognize the song. <laughs> you know, or, right. or if you start altering the harmony, uh, you know, to the point of like you know adding so many different accidentals to the to the actual chord it, it yeah. really kind of 
almost ruins the song. Nice but thing. what I did was I took the the harmonic movement and I syncopated in an arpeggiated way uh, a lot of the the uh, underneath the underneath the melody. You know, yeah. uh, the harmonies that move in that kind of fashion made it more interesting. You know, than if I had played it like quarter note chords, like Paul would do on the piano. You know what I mean, or something. I hear you. I couldn't get away with that without a voice and and lyrics, you know. Right, right. You know, speaking of Paul, I've heard you speak especially fondly of Paul's bass playing um, and how it was so kind of revolutionary. It was so melodic. It was almost like a counter melody to whatever it was was doing. It was. I mean, Sgt. Pepper was a good, really great example of that. It was a super important part of the song and right out front, too. You know, yeah, it was counter melody. And you... You know, to kind of recapture some of that authenticity, you used a Rickenbach, the same bass, right? That Paul used the same one on yeah, the album. The oh, same very cool gauge man. strings and everything. And it's it's funny. A friend, I borrowed it from a friend of mine, and uh, he said this is the same exact setup. And and when I plugged it in, I said, "Yep, that's the sound." You know, <laughs> so it was really cool to have that. You know, and and I got to play some drums on it and and all the percussion virtually all the percussion except for the um, tabla nice yeah you you do it all and like we should mention it's a fantastic album it is out right now um it's on amazon it's all the streaming services released released march 13th on ear music people definitely check it out it is absolutely worth it um all right, Al, let's let's walk it back, man, because uh, I know this is what a, a lot of people are curious to hear about. This is certainly what I'm curious to hear about. Okay. Return to Forever, man. You joined that group at 19 years old. Right. Is that correct? That's right. Replacing the great Bill Connors, you know, so huge shoes to fill. Well, it's, fu- it's funny, but uh, actually I filled the shoes of Earl Clue. Earl Clue, that, okay, Earl Clue, yeah. It was a- no, so Bill Bill had left. Just his then, big shoes to fill. They they found Earl, you know, as, as a quick replacement, and then I saw the band with Earl. I saw actually with Bill first, and then I saw with Earl when I was at Berkeley School of Music and uh, at, at the Orpheum Theater, and I remember... You know, I mean, Earl's a great player and everything. It wasn't, but it wasn't quite his his style. You know, the, the high mm-hmm. energy thing. Right. So, I I just made a mention to a friend of mine back in New Jersey. He's like he's like uh, almost like my big brother, but he was um, uh, Michael was ba- Michael Bayukas was a um, an amateur recording engineer, and uh, you know, I just told him about it. I said, man, they they have Earl playing with Return to Forever now. Boy, I would love to play with that band. If I ever had the chance, it would be amazing. This is my favorite band at the time. Yeah. So he he just took it upon himself to to go into New York City and and just find out where Chick's playing and then, you know, try to find the management. And, you know, he had, and Michael actually had tapes of me that he had recorded uh, when I was playing with Barry Miles Quartet, another great pianist. Mm-hmm. Barry Miles and yeah, you know, actually one of the first fusion groups was with Barry Miles, right? And uh, so he had a really good recording of of uh, a New Year's Eve show I did with Barry, and he was able to to you know convince them and find them and you know and, and play the tape for them, and then uh, I got that call from Chick up in Boston that uh, changed my life. Amazing man, it's like saying you want to play for the Yankees, and next thing you know. You're there in Yankee Stadium. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, now, yeah, the, but the first... first show was Carnegie Hall. So, <laughs> oh, uh... my God. 
the only yeah. three days later and you know the whole the whole trip of like leaving boston and i remember telling my girlfriend you know i'm, I'm leaving she goes where are you going to the store i said no i'm, <laughs> I'm going to new york to play at carnegie hall you know this chick told me right away you know i need you to play carnegie hall our first show and i go holy jesus so i went home uh i went to new jersey uh knocked on the screen door and my mother comes to the door what are you doing home from school i said i'm playing carnegie hall on tuesday I'll never forget my father in the background at the at the table you know, with the paper <laughs> while he's eating it. Not yet, not. Come on, what are you doing home? Oh man, <laughs> parents, <laughs> man, they're always yeah, right. They always give you a, no way could that be a second so degree, fast. right? Right. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. And it's you know you joined the group. A lot of people forget they started kind of as an avant-garde outfit and then got progressively more jazz rock and when you joined the group they were at the height of the jazz rock thing um yeah. that first album that you joined them for was that where have i known you before was that the first one yeah 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 okay what was it like we recorded into- that at the record plant and uh it was the end of the tour and then july so oh, our nice. first our first show was like july 3rd i think in 1974 at carnegie and then at the end of july after touring the whole month we went into the uh a studio called the record plant on uh, i guess it was 43rd street or 44th off of 8th and uh the next room was john lennon so i got to see john lennon a lot wow I, was, I thought i was in heaven yeah it was amazing wow man um and then of course you really hit your stride um with the follow-up uh, no mystery yeah. and that was that was an interesting project because everyone from the band contributed a song right well, yeah, that's what Chick, Chick yeah. wanted that. And that was kind of pushed us to write, you know. I didn't want to write at all. I was like, going to ask. I was going to ask. I was gonna ask. Yeah. I, how, yeah how, you I, know, was it nerve-wracking to hear? Show us yeah, a tune. Mean, you know, I don't know why he wanted us to write, but he just <laughs> thought it would it would be a good thing. And uh, which, which you know, I look back at it, and, you know, I credit him for that. It was wonderful. And your tune was first newborn. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, <laughs> they wanted to play that that song, all of them. That's a smoking the, song, man. In 2008, and I said, no, I don't like that song. Oh, God. It was the first thing I wrote, and I didn't think it was that great. But they liked the song. And, it's uh, a smoking song. One of the standouts for yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. Compared to what I've been writing after that, it was, you know, not one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things I was going to ask is that uh, I, I seem to recall seeing you, Al, with RTF yeah. at Asbury Park Convention Center, like in the 70s. Oh, maybe not. Maybe eighty, maybe early eighties. No, I, I don't remember. I, I don't remember that. Yeah, and it, it was weird because I, I, you know, it was before of my jazz epiphany, and it was for I think oh I think Return to Forever opened for Focus. Remember that that hit song Hocus Pocus with Jan Ackerman? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe maybe that may have been the maybe the Bill Connor era. Yeah, I think it was Bill. I think it was yeah. Bill. I kind of heard about that. I I, I I think I made the connection. Asbury Park, Al Demiola, New Jersey. But you live in North Jersey. I'm losing you. Yeah, you're in North Jersey, isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah. You're like old old yeah. Tapan. Uh, I've actually been to old Tapan. Well, Larry Rose. That's, remember him? I was at Larry Rosen's house. That's well. That, that his backyard is touch is on my backside so we we connect yeah the properties connect wow yeah i'm looking right at his house when i look out my kitchen window I, does hazel still live there 
No, Hazel lives in uh, Fisher Island. Yeah, no, I know she lives in Florida. I don't know if they kept the Florida, yeah. the New Jersey. They, they sold a while ago. You know, yeah, they, they were here wow. in the heyday, so, the heyday of GRP. Yeah, oh yeah, we were there during those days. <laughs> the so, um, you know, speaking of uh, New Jersey, and uh, so you live in New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I grew up in Asbury Park, and uh-huh. down the street uh, there was this guy who everyone thought was the rock star of my uh, elementary school uh, junior high days and there was a guy in my band who actually played in his band and everyone said yeah this guy Bruce is just he's just on fire we were like yeah that guy Bruce is great of course we never could imagine he became the rock legend yeah I still hate it yeah yeah I can't imagine (laughs) 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 so the uh I got a question for you about the different roles that you've played as leader, band member. Do you have a favorite? I mean, what, did you enjoy most, return, aside from your solo career, was it the acoustic records with Paco and John McLaughlin? Was it Return of Forever? Was it some of these other? What did you enjoy doing the most? Oh, the most, the most. There were elements of both that I enjoyed. I don't. I never looked at it as I uh, like this one more than the other. Um, they were both vastly different, if you know what I mean. Sure. Um, but I don't know. I don't know which one I liked more. There were moments when I thought I liked this one more, and there was moments right. when I thought the other one. You know what I mean? They, bo- they were both uh, great in the sense that uh, it made me grow faster. Mm-hmm. It made me stretch and made me want to be better and live up to and then surpass in some ways. Because if you if you look at the guitar trio, it was a wonderful thing that we had this healthy kind of competition. And if you kind of relate it to the Beatles, so did John and Paul. Like mm-hmm. you know, John would come in with Strawberry Fields and blow Paul away. And then Paul said, oh man, I got to go out and write a great song. So he would write Penny Lane. But we had that kind of competition on the stage even though there was an audience in front of us um if if paco was the first guy to take a solo it was usually phenomenal and then so it was john's turn after that john i could just see in john's eyes he wanted to do he wanted to play something that was equally if not more great and so then it was my turn i said oh shit what am i gonna come up with you know (laughs) you know so it you know when you listen back at it which, by the way, I had a I had a stream from my studio on Saturday, and I introduced one of the tracks from the new Saturday Night in San Francisco tapes that I had in my vault for forty years. Mm. It's actually going to come out next year, and people just flipped out. You know, it was it was that good. Even the quality was great. We had the tape, the two inch magnetic tapes burnt. Uh, burnt. We had them baked professionally and restored all of the sound. Killer! Wow, Thanks, John was even knocked out with it. So, well, you know, the the one of the things that I found very uh, interesting in your transitions from one to the next, you know, I knew you as this blazing, just articulate, just lightning speed guitarist. I've never, I had never heard that before, and then all of a sudden, you slowed down. It slowed down to the point where. Actually, I remember you were the cover story of Jazz's, I want to say back in 1985. And and the cover story was called Race with the Devil Ends. <laughs> uh, one of Al's great 
tunes, everybody. And uh, it, 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 you kind of went into that very cool, melodic, uh, almost ambient synthesizer, synclavier. Oh, that was just like soaring through a dream time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, a, yeah. That's when right. I, I had signed with Manhattan Records. And, you know, there was that other side of me that, you know, was what the composer had, you know, emerged, you know, and mm -hmm. I wanted to do more kind of, you know, deeper kind of stuff than, uh, you know, I mean, I think, I think composition was always there, but it was always the, the velocity of the technique that was, uh, people have remembered from the early years, but there was a lot more to express. And as time went on, you know, the compositions became more and more important than, than lengthy, long, you know, action filled kind of soloing, uh, and that's the way it is today. I mean, it's I'm, I'm more of a composer than I am of a you know, you know, a showy guitar player. You know. Yeah, but but uh, when you want to show, you show well. <laughs> yeah, but the emphasis now is on on the composition because that's what yeah. really holds the audience uh, more so. You know, you can bore you can bore an audience with long solos no matter what level you're at, and that's what I found. With boy, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it, but RTF, when we did the reunion tour, you know, the second half of our show were all these unaccompanied solos that went on forever and ever. So you had a long drum solo, long bass solo, you know, and, and I was kind of like, shit, why don't we just do shorter solos and play more of the, you know, kind of hits that people remember of RTF, like Senor Mouse and sure. Demon of the Mothership, you know, great songs. And and it wasn't what he wanted to do, and uh, you know, you know, I have I have some some feelings about that band that you know I really think we made some. Uh, I won't say we. I think he made some terrible mistakes in the fact that you know there should have been five romantic warriors, not one. There should have mm -hmm. been more. You know, yeah. the smart bands that are out there that had really bad internal problems. I don't even think we had really bad internal problems. Right, right. But, you know, bands that had horrible internal problems, like the Eagles or the Allman Brothers or, you know, many, many, many bands, Stones even, with between Mick and, and, and Keith, they they know what's important. Right. What's important is to keep it going, man. It's the nucleus of it, this, you know, is, is so important. And they cleaned up. That really was a special album, though, Al, Romantic Warrior. Yeah, but um, for been so many, at least five, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, there was it just no from... reason for that band to to disband, and the chick went off and did the, the music magic. Oh my God, I remember what he said. He goes, "I want to hand the contract back to Columbia because I want to go in a different direction." We had just signed a multi-million dollar contract. Wow! And all of us were like, "Oh no!" It is all because we wouldn't take Gail into the band we all had to vote we didn't want a lead vocalist in that band because the image of that band was not that ah and that shit. was his girlfriend so we all right. voted we all voted to no including the management no and so chick you know was obviously upset and he handed the contract back to bruce lundball bruce lundball goes are you kidding me in all my years i've never had an artist walk in and say he wants to you know disband Problem was, we were all signed on the contract. Wow, huh? That's why God made music lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> I did good. There you go. There you go. But anyway, yeah, I, I figured. Look, you know, 
he's going to realize at some point he made a mistake. So he did at some point a couple of years later. And then we did a reunion tour in 83. Didn't last long. We had great plans. And then he flipped again and went a different direction. But that's Chick. Chick, is, Chick likes a lot of different idioms. And, you know, I just feel as though it's a shame because we could have, even though he likes to do a lot of different things and he's phenomenal in all of them, um, I still say that that band should have made another, you know, bunch of landmark records. Did you know you were really hitting your stride with that album? I mean, you were out there. There was the story behind the recording of that album. It's interesting. You were out on the ranch in Colorado. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we were high up in the Rockies. Yeah. 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 The Caribou Ranch was was an amazing studio that. Uh, Chicago, the band Chicago did all their records. In fact, the producer of the okay, nice. Chicago owned it. He's like a 12,000 acre ranch. Whose idea was it to bring you out to that ranch? Was that Chicks? No, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe okay. the management, you know, looked, found it and said, you know, this is a cool place. You know, when you're there, you're, you're kind of isolated and, mm -hmm. you know, that you can really focus. So it was, the studio was amazing, state of the art in this giant barn. And they had cabins on the property, and we each had our own cabin, and we did a lot of horse riding, and uh, cool. it was amazing, an amazing experience. I also recorded an album there on my own called Scenario, uh, that I, where I had Phil Collins as a guest and Jan Hammer, and was on the whole record. And yeah, that was cool. In addition to the supergroup uh, at the time, uh, the uh, the sound quality of Romantic Warrior is remarkable. I mean, you, it, you you put it up today with the with such improved technology. You still hear that album, and it just sounds great. Well, it's analog. You know, there you go. Analog, I still say, has a bigger punch, fatter, bigger. And we had an engineer from, from the Ken Scott School in London. And, you know, and they, those guys always got the best sound, you know, the English engineers. And had a, they had a great board in there. I think it was a Trident board, so it was like very fat sounding. Uh, unfortunately, the studio actually was was state of the art 1960s, so it was a lot of carpeting. There wasn't a lot of ambient sound, but he still got a big fat, you know, big fat sound there. Nice. Well, you know, I guess things happen for a reason um, in terms of Return to Forever, because you would go on to an amazing career as a leader, right? You know, beginning with Land of the Midnight Sun which had a lot of the cats from RTF come and join yeah. you along with unmistakable Jocko on the bass. Yeah, that man. was the first record he ever recorded on. Really? First, wow. first time in the studio ever. Really? So wait, how'd you hook up with Jocko? Well, this was before Matheny? Well, I knew of him when I was in high school because, you know, okay. all the Jersey guys would go on spring break down to Fort okay. Lauderdale. That's right. They still do. And so I'm in Fort Lauderdale. I must have been 17 years old and oh. 16, whatever. And people were talking about this you know, local bass player that's phenomenal. So I knew about him. Wow. And, I, and somehow I got in touch with him. So uh, I was the one. And then only a couple of years later, I'm, I'm in RTF. And um, uh, I ran into Bobby Columbia, the drummer of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And he was looking for a bass player. So I recommended Jocko. Hmm. So Jocko joined Blood, Sweat, and Tears, who happened to have done some shows with RTF. That led to Zawinul finding out about him. Okay. And then he wound up in Weather Report. Wow. Man, so you really uh, brought Jocko up from the farm system, huh? I did. 
Amazing. Yeah, I was, I actually, but but what was cool was um, when he got the gig with Weather Report, he became an instant rock star. Yeah. And uh, rightfully, and 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 uh, I was fortunate to have my record Elegant Gypsy come out the mm-hmm. same week as Heavy Weather. So CBS yeah. at the time, before it became Sony, they they said this is under Bruce Lundvall's, you know, uh, guidance and. Uh, you know, his plan was to put us out on tour together, co-build tour, uh, supporting both those records. So okay. I was hanging wow. out with Joe and Jocko every night, and it was it was amazing. I mean, yeah. Oh, just you, phenomenal. I mean, you seem to really be able to, you know, you've got a knack for describing bass players and their talents. What was so special about Jocko? What did he bring to the table in that group? No, no one had played like him before. Yeah. Uh, a real revolutionary totally like yep. blew every if you were a bass player you just like he was just very <laughs> you very hang it up for a long yeah. time <laughs> you know he it was so different and and mind-blowing that that uh i don't know it was not like nobody before you know and uh musicality was was sick yeah man yeah. very cool he would he would walk around just and just say look i'm the greatest musician in the world so we would introduce himself yeah, and you know, it's like, wow, what a cock! You know what? He's right. <laughs> he could say it. He's earned it. Yeah, cool, man. Um, but then you got, you got, of course, you know, little by little, he got more and more into the bad stuff. And, yeah, you know, yeah, tragic man died wow. so young. You know, I know the way he went out in that bar fight, but uh, that was very. I did not realize that that was his first recording, and that you would kind of. Uh, set him up for that weather report gig so very cool well he went uh, from my my recording to pat metheny's you know bright size light yeah when i'm done with this i'm flying up to boston cool man to record with pat i said okay well, as long as you got me first <laughs> <laughs> you always got that you can claim that over pat very cool you know you mentioned elegant gypsy that was the follow-up um and that was really when the world got to see this flamenco side of you you know in the spotlight um, how did flamenco music come into the equation with regard to your playing? Had it well, always I'm been not, an interest? I'm not really, you know, I'm not a flamenco player at all, actually. I'm just more of a, uh, I'm a Latin, uh, influence guitarist. I, I hung out in a lot of Latin clubs when I was mm-hmm. a kid, uh, by myself. I, I really had a, uh, just a good sensibility to Latin rhythms and things like that. So Pac and I got along. Uh, because we both had a strong sense of playing against the clave and, and okay. knowing how to play, uh, had the feeling of the upbeat. And so rhythmically, we we had, we were a very good match, but I don't come from flamenco, nor am I, do I consider myself a flamenco player. But the, the magic in that, that track we did on Elegant Gypsy, which was called Mediterranean Sundance, mm-hmm. was, was the fact that we just had really great interplay. And we both, had a sense of this this latin thing you know so that really worked well for the trio as well you know uh whenever we played rhythm together for john it was john yeah it was pretty pretty cool pretty supreme you know absolutely you know and i'm wondering if you could give an example of you know like you mentioned uh, this latin feel that you were able to put your own spin on you know um just a just a groove that you might have set up it could be impromptu. It could be something from, you know, Mediterranean Sundance. Just so people get a sense of what you're talking about. Um, well, you know, Scott. Tap your foot, right? Yeah. It's it's the, the whole thing is 
tapping your quarter notes with your foot is the most okay. important thing. So, and having the the upper body is playing the counter rhythms. Okay. And if you if you're playing the counter rhythms that are up here, uh-huh. and it influences the time down there, then that's not good. So so the thing is to to be completely independent. So if I'm if I'm tapping this. Is the time the total hypnosis of the of the part disappears. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm tapping under that. So it's the percussive on top of the rhythmic that makes part. that magic. Wow. <laughs> Oh yeah, man. Sorry, I didn't put my shoes on. That's all right. I, I don't. I haven't put my shoes on in three weeks, Al. So don't even worry about it, man. Hey, you know, I, I brought my guitar out. Here we go. This is um, going to be a real treat, ladies. No, and no, believe me, I am not going <laughs> to touch it. But I just, I think now I can say that in my bio that uh, I performed with Al Demiola. Okay. Right? There you <laughs> no, go. Just, so, so the funny thing is, so I've been playing guitar my whole life, and I'm the worst guitarist on the planet. So I'll put this down now. But I remember one night being out with Rittenauer for dinner. Oh, and yeah. uh, someone came up to us noticed Lee, And then Lee said, oh, you must know Michael Fagan, the publisher of Jazz Is. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're a guitarist, too. And I made the mistake by saying yes. And then I said, no, 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 no. I'm not a guitarist. I, I own a guitar. And uh, that's what I do. I collect guitars. Oh, yeah? Okay. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> How many do you have? <laughs> well, I've given some to my kids, who I think uh, have sold them when they were in college. Uh, but I had like, you know, an Adamus and this, this Yamaha, I had a Takamini cutaway. I've had a Fender Telecaster. Uh, I've had a bunch of guitars, but I've, I've, it's amazing that I've been playing as long as I have, and I'm still so terrible. And so I decided rather than be a player, I'm going to be a listener. You have, you have a few guitars over there. I noticed. Yeah, I have, uh, they're everywhere in the room. Wow. See, I love guitars. I know. I not to show off or anything, but I just no, I, I, a lot oh, of yeah. that, a lot of cases all over. And then I have a guitar room, kind of like my like a messy wine room. Wow! wow. <laughs> I know asking you, you know, to pick a favorite or a prized possession is like you know asking to pick a favorite child. But is there, you know, maybe a top three of items you're especially proud of in that collection? Well, the one I played. Uh, I've, I've recorded on a lot of records, maybe at least 20, 25 records, and I take it on the road now. And that one, that orange one with the cutaway, hmm. is, a, is a supreme sound, very clear. And this one is the one, oh, this is a good one. Can you see this Les Paul? Oh, yeah. This is the one that I played uh, when I joined Chick Corea. Oh, wow. And this is the Elegant Gypsy guitar as well. There it the is. Land of the Midnight in the Sun flesh. and Elegant Gypsy guitar. Yeah. Very cool. 
Very cool, man. Hey, you know, it was interesting to hear you say that, you know, you don't consider yourself a flamenco purist, um, you know, because, you know, in a lot of ways, Paco de Lucia comes from that tradition. Yeah. And from what I was reading, you know, he he got some flack from flamenco purists sure. for kind of scratching this itch. Uh, right. And you kind of defended him and said, you know what, this is good for the tradition. This is good that yeah. he's branching out. Well, all, all, of the, all the fusion guys got it from the old school jazz guys. They got they get reamed from them. Yeah, you know, as as, as soon as the volume went up, those the, the old school guys, they they frowned on Chick and 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 Zawinul and and they even frowned on Miles uh, yep. when he went. But uh, yeah, so it happened with Paco because he was trying to advance uh, the 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 standard flamenco kind of cadence and. Yep. and branch out into different harmonies and different types of improvisation. So the purist, you know, they, they gave him a hard time, just like they gave Astor Piazzolla a hard time for mm -hmm. expanding the tango the yeah. way he did. I mean, he wanted to abandon the tango, but so he went to, he went to Paris to study with Nadia Boulanger uh, to just become a classical composer. He wanted, he was so like fed up with tango, but she was the one that said, no, your, your, your soul is tango. Retain that, put that in the music. Right. So that's, that's how the music of, you know, the new tango emerged blending the, the classical with the tango. So the fusion basically is that it's, it's really just the, you know, taking the elements of, of both, you know, some classical jazz, Latin, and and we've created that idiom. And uh, we, RTF, and Mahavishnu Weather Report, were at the forefront of a new, you know, pioneering sound. With the top three bands. Yep. Well, you know, and you were too, with from an acoustic perspective, especially. You you know, you can't mention you and Paco without mentioning Friday Night in San Francisco, uh, one of the so great seven, acoustic. Seven million. Seven million. Wow, man. And I have the Saturday night in San Francisco. If I, I've had it for 40 years behind that wall. Behind that wall is a giant tape vault. And I, I've i mentioned it to the to the guys over the years, but the, it's like it went on deaf ears, you know. So mm. I said, guys, I have all of the tapes. And the management was a pain. The record company, you know, at the time, different people at the record company. It was all becoming like just just a hassle so i said how would it if you know if the guys aren't excited about it i'm not going to do it so it wasn't it was only recently that i i i said you know what i i better bake have those tapes baked again before i lose them forever yeah so recently i just did it on my own i found a professional uh you know engineer that knows how to bake the tapes and restore the sound and lo and behold the, the sound was you know perfect so i said you know what let me let me try john again john's now 70 something years old yeah Maybe he's, he's, a, he's mellowed a bit and <laughs> you got you know you got to at least hear these performances he, yeah so he comes back to me because he, he didn't even know there was anything you know left i said no we got enough we got other tracks not the same tracks how, how many, many hours of music yeah so we have uh, one of his, one of mine, one of Paco's that are not on the first record. People have never Brand heard new them. tunes. Wow. And, and we were at the end of a two-month tour. So our chops were crazy fast. Yeah. Like 
I, I mean, I, none of us can play like that. I mean, Falco's gone, but but John and I, we can never do that now. It was it was an amazing period of time, and uh, so I played it for him, and he he flipped out. So now we have a, a record company called Impex, it was a high end company that flipped out when they heard the tracks, and they want to uh, release it on you know high end format, high resolution format. Also, they have Friday Night in San Francisco that they've uh, put out and repackaged. It's beautiful. I saw it in Japan. Amazing. So this will come out April next year. April next year. Wow. Very That's nice. Great. Folks listening, something and to I look forward I to. I for debuted sure. a piece on my own stream, my live stream on Saturday. And it's on my Facebook. It's so on your Facebook here. page? Okay, cool. So it's people check it out. Al's Facebook page. Yeah, I mean, I did a. Uh, I actually wrote a new piece uh Esperanza, which means hope, okay. and uh, it's, you know, kind of the sentiment of the time. And uh, so, I debuted this new piece. I played a piece of uh, uh, another original and a piece of Piazzolla, and then I, I uh, introduced this new track, an old track uh, from Saturday Night in San Francisco. People flipped. Wow, very cool. Any chance we can hear a little bit, just a little bit of Esperanza? Esperanza. Oh my yeah. God. It's a brand new piece. Yeah. Um, We'd love to hear it, I man. To read it. This is a brand new Aldemiola. a 
taste of it. Beautiful, man. Yeah. Just beautiful. Just beautiful. Hey, while you were playing, we got a reminder, I think, from someone on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, from that night in San Francisco, did you bring out uh, Steve Morse? Well, what happened was I, I decided not to do that, that tour. Um, I had really bad back problems, okay. so I, I, I kind of, um, at, you know, close to the tour, I said, I don't think I can do it. And so they got, they panicked and they got Steve Morris and then Paco called me up after rehearsing with him and said, please, man, you gotta, you gotta do this. You gotta do this. <laughs> oh man. I said, I knew what he was talking about because he, he, he misses having the rhythm aspect. Right. You know? And Steve's a wonderful soloist, but I think the rhythm thing was what, you know, where Paco and I got along really well. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I, I I decided to jump back in, but we we felt it would be you know, a little little bad for uh, you know kind of bad for Steve to tell him that he's not doing it now. So mm. we uh, we gave him the opening slot to the show, and then we had him join us for the encore. Mm. Nice. So that's hey. how that happened. You know, so he more. did a little solo before we went on, and then he okay. joined us for the last uh, encore piece. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you to Tim Burr on Facebook for reminding us that Steve Thank you, Tim. was in that group. Um, Al, I want to end just talking about uh, you know the new album across the universe. As we all mentioned, it is it is gorgeous. Um, you know, how did you settle on? There's so many amazing tunes. You know to pick here but the set list for this tune because you know you've got some deep cuts deep cuts in here um which well, I, you know, a lot of the songs of the beatles were two minutes you know right. some of them was a little less some of them a little longer like uh norwegian wood is a beautiful beautiful melody you don't Absolutely. you don't listen to that and you go oh my god that's it's uh it's too so short it's beautiful <laughs> concise aesthetic yeah you yeah. know, the whole world knows that melody and the bridge. Yeah. And it just, you know, I felt, man, it's not an, you know, if you take the lyrics and the voice out, you're left with a very short, tiny piece under two minutes. So uh -huh. I felt compelled to uh, extend it and, as an instrumental mm -hmm. and, and write some sections for it, you know, and then revisit the melody throughout, you know. Gotcha. And then I got this tabla player uh, from India to play on it. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, I, so I did a lot of that. Same with uh, Strawberry Fields. I would write uh, a centerpiece for it, and uh, you know, because I felt it needed more. That's all. Right, but you preserve kind of the kernel of the thing. That's the most important thing. You know, you well, on this record, because the first record, I I, I displaced melody yep. a little bit more. Kind of re right. It was a little bit more avant. You know, yes. And, and this one, I wanted to go. You know, nail the melodies, but then displace everything else under it you know but in some places play exactly what they yep. did it was you know, like like some of the ringo fills i said you know you just expect that do, 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 you know and you know i just said what the hell it'd be a gas just to do that you know <laughs> yeah, and yeah I, get I some lip to ringo. The, the interesting thing about the the new records across the universe is that you hold on to the melody but then you hear little pieces of al Demiola through the years yeah, like this style that you did on one album, this style you did on another. Oh, this riff kind of reminds me of that riff. So, if for Aldemiola fans, they're going to say, "Oh, yeah, I, I remember, I remember hearing that one time before on, on another Aldemiola project." And then for those who don't have earlier projects, it 
the melodies carry. And right. certainly the guitar playing does well as well. Yeah, well, there was a method to the madness. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I, and like, for instance, if you had a 404 bar that was of the original Beatles melody, you know, I might extend the bar for two beats so I could fit in a thing, an Aldi Mule thing. A thing. You know what I mean? So I, I had rewritten a lot of it to accommodate some of that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just yeah I'm very proud of the record it was it was yeah. uh, it was a lot of fun to do this and it brought just great feeling you know that's that's what the Beatles music does it brings you back to a point in time that was just beautiful and we could all use that right now brother so yeah I want to oh mention you know Al was the cover of our February digital issue which is up on our site right now you become a subscriber you unlock access to the feature story we did on Al. He had a wonderful interview about the Beatles. That's all at jazzes.com slash subscribe. As a matter of fact, right now we're offering three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents per month. Plus you get a uh, complimentary print issue that's coming out in summer. So, and it's a fusion issue, um, a theme Al knows all too well, but there is Al's February digital issue cover. Check it out at jazzes.com. Um, Al, before we go, I mean, is there any way we could get you to play just a little snippet of something else from the new album? Sure. Let me think. Uh, I'm not warmed up, but I'll play what I what I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> the alternatives we have Michael play, and I don't think anyone wants to hear that. Well, yeah, and also <laughs> Al, Al Demiola, not warmed up, sounds better than most guitarists warmed up. So. Exactly. <laughs> Let's see which one should I do? I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Uh, In the meantime, we should mention Al's new album, Across the Universe, available now. I just want to say, you know, this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, My pleasure. Thank you again for joining us for brunch. Um, and like we said, where's the best pe- place for people to follow along with all things Al Demiola right now? Well, for my my official Facebook, you know, okay. Instagram, I guess, and uh, you know, my my wife takes care of all of that. She does a great job, and uh, yeah, we're posting a lot, and uh, we have three live streams that are still up there okay on three different saturdays recently and uh yeah 
it, it and I had uh, luckily I had my my keyboardist here from Spain was kind of stuck here, so oh, we, yeah. we were doing a lot of duets and uh, we got the first one we had three hundred thousand viewers. On the nice, but well, actually three fifty now. Nice, wow. excellent. Well, I yeah. will add one more to that. I'm sure Michael will too, and I know I'll a be lot there. of our viewers will. Um, please check that out. Aldo Mula's Facebook page. The new album is Across the Universe. Uh, it's streaming and available everywhere. Saturday night in San Francisco on the horizon. There it is. There's a new one. Um, and we may have a, a Saturday night in San Francisco on the horizon. So that could be very, That's very in cool. April. Okay. In yeah. April of next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Things will hopefully be back to normal by then. Um, <laughs> Al, man, thank you again so much for joining us for brunch. This has been awesome. Stay Thanks, safe. Nice to see you. Stay healthy. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow at 11 a.m., folks. Take care, guys. Take care, Thanks. everyone. Bye. All the best. Bye.